It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Since the dawn of the Patriot Act, a sweeping surveillance bill enacted shortly after 9-11, it's been both the bane of privacy hawks and the favorite tool of the intelligence community. Patriot Act, I love it, I love it, I love it. But lately, the Senate, courtesy of Mitch McConnell, just helped the IC by giving agencies like the FBI the power to warrantlessly search the browser history of American citizens. And that's terrifying. And today, we've got Motherboard editor and reporter Janice Rose on to break down how this happened and what's next. Coming from my apartment in New York, I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. Okay, so Janice, thank you so much for being on the show. This is your first time on the show. It is. And I'm very happy to have you because it's, it's, we're going to talk about something that I really think is one of the most important surveillance issues of our times, the Patriot Act. And it came back into the news recently, last week. And I wanted to kind of go over this with you because it's, it's very important. I think a lot of people aren't, mm-hmm. aren't in this time of pandemic paying enough attention to it. So what happened in the Senate last week? Okay, so basically last week, um, the Senate, there was this vote on an amendment to a reauthorization of parts of the Patriot Act that were set to expire at the end of last year. And so this kind of requires going back a little bit um, into how this all started. So basically, um, the USA Freedom Act, which, if you recall, was kind of a bill, a reform bill, which ultimately wasn't very good. Um, in terms of privacy, um, which was meant to address the Edward Snowden revelations um, about specifically the um, Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which was revealed by Edward Snowden to basically allow the NSA to collect um, phone records, like who calls who, for how long, et cetera. So like all this metadata that reveals all these things about um, people's communications that was being collected in bulk without a warrant um, by the NSA and other federal agencies. Um, so the USA Freedom Act was basically made to like ostensibly to address this. And part of it, part of the the um, provision when it was passed was there was a sunset that was put in so that this law would expire. And that time was the end of last year. So basically um, Congress with, has been sitting on this for months. Um, this reauthorization of the Patriot Act, of the USA Freedom provisions of the Patriot Act. They've been sitting on this for months. Um, The um, more progressive wing and the pro-privacy wing of both bodies of Congress have been demanding strong reforms. Um, You know, uh, Ilhan Omar and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the squad, um, they were um, part of that. Um, And basically what was happening is that for a while, the Judiciary Committee was being completely silent they were not revealing um, anything about what might be in this bill, the reauthorization bill. Um, and then all of a sudden, 48 hours um, before they drop this bill and it's like really bad and it has all this stuff in it. And it basically like, you know, pushes through effectively like something approximating a blanket reauthorization of these um, these surveillance powers. Um, and a bunch of people in the House 
um, notably um, Lofgren and Jayapal, um, kind of just were like refusing to were refusing to kind of roll over on this. They were they were trying to offer amendments um, to make sure that the privacy stuff that some of the privacy um, like demands would be put in and it would be preserved. Um, interestingly enough, during this period, um, there was this weird dance going on where uh, Nadler, who is a member of the committee that um, basically, uh, you know, that like determines the bills go, go, go passing through the house was, um, was basically um, trying to do this dance where they were, there was this fear that if they, passed that the house passed a bill and it wasn't deferential enough to the intelligence community that it would not pass and so he was like trying to he was trying to basically force this through um because he was worried that he could only make it as strong as the intelligence committee will let him and trying to like walk this tightrope to like prevent the intelligence committee from like drafting their own bill and so there was this fear that that would happen um, and they were put, and basically that was the reason why this was put like right up against the deadline, um, because they were like even among the sort of like pro privacy part, some parts of the pro privacy like wing in the house, there was this fear that like the intelligence committee would just like say, oh, this is too strong, and we're throwing this out. Um, and so they didn't allow amendments. Um, then it came to the Senate, and there were several amendments that were proposed. Um, there was one from Mitch McConnell that was basically proposing to explicitly put it into wording that, that this author is that these authorities under the Patriot Act give federal agencies the ability to collect internet, internet activity without a warrant. Um, which is, which is patently insane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is like, you know, and, and, and to be clear, we don't actually, there's a lot of about this that we don't know in terms of like what powers the NSA and other federal agencies actually have, because, you know, part of covering this whole issue has always been kind of like when you're making this legislation, there's only so much that the intelligence committee will actually, that the intelligence community will actually admit to like what they have, because there's this whole body of secret law and the FISA courts, which are this, these Mm -hmm. secretive judicial judiciary committees that are, you know, that don't, aren't publicly accountable. They have now as a result of the Snowden revelations, they have these, um, they have these people who are amicus curiae, who basically are um, people who like do oversight over these secret committees that decide things about the intelligence targeting. Um, But ultimately there's a lot about the law that we don't understand because we don't actually know um, what powers these these powerful federal federal agencies actually have because they won't say. Um, so it's important to just remember that because what basically what McConnell was trying to push was that basically a codification of their ability to collect this this internet um, activity data, which is like web browsing history, um, you know, search history, all that kind of stuff. So which like, is you know, which is pretty wild because that means what the FBI without a warrant can just check your internet browsing history on a hunch, on an investigative hunch, which is to say, like, I mean, I don't want them looking at, it was funny, some of the things that were cited as potential violations, people are like, oh, your medical history's on your search history, you know, your your communications with your family members. 
also f- porn. People have porn on, <laughs> on their search history. Stuff like yes. this. Like there's so many levels of privacy that that violates for no reason. And we also know that some of these agencies will use personal things against people in order to get them to reveal more secrets to them. And this is like, it just seems like a rabbit hole that is now possible. Right. Yeah. And this is like, this is kind of like what I've been, the reason why I like started covering this so many years ago. And this is also like, by the way, I may be a bit rusty on this because this is like the first time that I've covered this issue in years. Um, I kind (laughs) of fell out of it because um, I started to focus more on AI and algorithms because basically like, once it became clear that like there was, you know, very, you know, there's only so much you can do in terms of like limiting the federal agency's ability to collect things, it starts to become useful to realize like, okay, what can they actually do with these, with this information? Like we keep talking about collecting and collecting and collecting, but like the actual danger of having all this data available I don't think is like very clear to people. And maybe now with, with all these like complex algorithms that can search through reams and reams of information and find, you know, like can, can try to predict, you know, a person's future actions, essentially. Um, when you talk about internet activity, like you're saying, that's like really, really sensitive data. Um, because, you know, you look at someone's like, you know, if, if sometimes like when the little, like suggestion box pops down for like my previous searches. Like it's basically a catalog of my brain. Mm -hmm. It's like a catalog of every thought that I've had, every curiosity that I've had over Mm -hmm. the past, like however many days it's been since I cleared my, my browsing data. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like incredibly invasive, you know? Yeah. And like, and, and I think now more than ever, it's very obvious to us like that this isn't just, you know, useless data that can stay securely in an NSA data center somewhere. Like this is data that can be acted upon due to like the development of these more and more sophisticated algorithms that are able to pick out context and like use this to sort of predict someone's future actions. Cause that's really like the, that's kind of like, you know, the, the, the Holy grail for intelligence gathering is this is what the military has been doing for years. Also, like they did it in Iraq and like I've spoken to intelligence analysts um, who worked in Iraq and they're basically saying that they have a primitive system where they basically analyze people's activities over a large period of time. Like they go to the store, they go to the mosque, they mm-hmm. go home, they eat dinner, you know, et cetera, like to, to organize, to basically like determine what they call pattern of life. Mm-hmm. And then from that, it becomes pretty, it becomes pretty like easy to predict because most people are pretty predictable. If they are, um, if they, if they and, are, if they are quote unquote terror suspects, and also it gets to the point where they right. can start, they can start looking at the way that their 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 walk is, that they can hone in on a on a type of walk that they do yeah. to determine who they are. <laughs> yeah, that's that's gate analysis. That's a whole other can of worms. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like when we're talking about like internet history and like internet search history, we're talking about like really sensitive data that basically kind of just you know. It, it gives a window into a person's like thought process really. Mm-hmm. And that makes it very scarily easy in some cases to predict what a person is up to and what they're, what they're interested in, what they're planning to do in the future, et cetera. Um, so basically like that, there was that one, you know, Mitch McConnell amendment to the Senate bill, the Senate reauthorization bill that proposed basically codifying um, saying explicitly 
like the FBI and all these and the NSA and all these federal agencies have the ability to collect internet activity without a warrant. Um, in response to this, there is another amendment that was proposed that literally declared that was um, proposed by uh, Steve Daines and Ron Wyden. Um, Ron Wyden being probably one of the most prolific um, members of the Senate or even like both houses of Congress in terms of like how consistently he has like spoken up on this issue, like very often consistently a lot of these privacy consistently mm-hmm. a great dude, Ron Wyden. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of privacy, definitely. He uh, is, yeah. Like one of the, one of the like major privacy reformers in Congress. And um, he, so he and Steve Daines basically proposed this other, this counter amendment that was like um, that said the opposite. You cannot use, Section 215 to get internet activity without a warrant. Um, so that was that amendment was the thing that was being voted on uh, last week in in the Senate, which failed by only one vote. So it needed sixty. It needed sixty votes to pass for the amendment to be accepted into the the law into the the bill, and it failed by one vote. And like you were mentioning before. Um, there, there were several. The only reason it failed is because there were several senators that were absent, um, including we don't, including Bernie Sanders, um, which was kind of like a huge kind of like, huh, um, like eyebrow raise. Um, and, you know, I don't massive think, eyebrow raise. I, I mean, the other thing, too, is that this is a man who who is consistently campaigned on on, you know, bringing unity to America and and up, 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 upholding voices that know that don't often get attention. And these types of bills definitely target people of color and communities that are disenfranchised. And absolutely. And he, I think he, it was, it's a massive failure. He has not gotten enough criticism for. I think, yeah. So it's, it's like, I've been trying to talk to people um, who may have like some knowledge as to why this happened. I think like one thing I've heard it, I've heard a lot about is just like, it's really difficult right now um, with COVID and like just being present in a physical location. And honestly, like, you know, if you look at it from like a zoomed out perspective, like the whole idea that like people have to like physically be somewhere in order to vote at this point is like pretty disqualifying. Yeah. Like it's pretty insane to me that like that has, and like, you know, the same thing with like the elections where, you know, the Democrats basically forced us like several States to hold a primary election when they're in the middle of a massive outbreak might have killed um, people a, <laughs> that might have actually killed people. And, yeah. you know, like near Tandon and all of these like democratic party operatives were just like, no, this is great. And like, j- just like, you know, it, it just, it seems insane to me that the, um, that this is regarded as a legitimate result, like that anything can be regarded as a legitimate result in the midst mm-hmm. of what's going on. But that, that aside, um, yeah, I haven't really gotten a hold on exactly what um, what happened that caused this, but that that's basically what happened is that the, the vote for the amendment failed by one vote um, and it wasn't accepted. There was one other um, amendment that was privacy related, which did pass, um, which was made by uh, Patrick Leahy and Lee, and that, that actually passed overwhelmingly, and that was... Uh, something that it basically strengthened. It wasn't, it wasn't as explicit at, or as like powerful as the thing that was that Danes and Wyden were, pr- were um, proposing, 
but it kind of strengthened the oversight process of the FISA court. So it like allowed for additional oversight of the FISA process. Um, then after this happened, this was also basically an upset. This was like a crazy, like nobody, ex- like everyone was expecting this to pass um, because they knew they had the votes. People just didn't show up. Um, so it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, so, so actually what happened after this vote is that McConnell withdrew the amendment thinking that it's not going to pass in, you know, in, in the, in the Senate. And because, you know, it was, it was offered as like a, it was like a counter. It was meant to like have like another amendment, like as a counter, you know, to the, the Danes and Wyden one. Um, so they did withdraw that, but we still haven't gotten to the point where we have like something on the books saying, no, the FBI and all these federal agencies cannot collect um, internet activity under this authority. So basically um, what's happened since then is that, um, which I guess is your next question if you want to ask it, but. Yeah, so (laughs) is it too late? Um, So what's happening right now is that a bunch of activists um, and people in Congress are trying to um, basically push Democrats and others in the House to reintroduce the Leahy Lee or the um, sorry, the um, the Danes Wyden Amendment that would have, you know, uh, explicitly banned the collection of Internet activity under 215. They're trying to get get them to reintroduce that. Um, and this is something that can happen. Um, but basically it's up to Nancy Pelosi, um, because she ultimately decides like which, which, you know, whether amendments are allowed and whether this goes through. And the thing that's frustrating right now is that they know that they have the votes for this. Like they know that Mm -hmm. if this were to go in, like they have the votes. So basically like if the house were to re like reattach this provision that failed in the Senate, say, saying um, the FBI can't collect internet activity under this authority. If it went back to the Senate, the Senate would have a chance to vote on it again because like, you know, any amendments that are added, it has to go back to the other chamber and then it would get voted on again. And in this case, like everyone knows now. So like the thing that I mentioned before about Gerald Nadler Nadler being very like tiptoeing around because he thought that like, oh, we need to, you know, we need to be careful about this because if we, if we, you know, if we overstep, if we have too much privacy, then they'll just like, you know, we won't be able to get the votes that like is effectively like proven null and void now because yep. it's it like, we know now that there is enough votes to make this happen. It's just a matter of will house leadership add it back into the bill so that the Senate can vote it through again. And then it would go, you know, and then it would go back to the house and ultimately, you know, go to the president. And so, um, Basically, like that's that's where we're at right now is that, you know, there there's a there's a couple things going on right now. And they're just like very inside baseball about like, you know, trying to. But basically what happened, what's happening is that activists are um, have launched this campaign, Fight for the Future, uh, launched this campaign that basically is like calling on people to leave messages at Nancy Pelosi's office to like encourage her and the House leadership to put the Wyden Danes amendment back into the bill so that eventually this will, you know, hopefully go through because they know that they have, 
Yeah, because they know they have the votes now. So it's just a matter of like, if they're given the chance to vote again, unless something really like insane happens what, um, but, where but, people for some reason don't show up again. Um, yeah, it has. Yeah. Calling on Bernie Sanders like I'm looking at you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, P- Pelosi does have a track record of being quite a surveillance hawk. Yeah, that's true. And like, you know, I think like the the main criticism that like activists have about this whole issue is just that like over and over again, like the Democrats like Pelosi and like, you know, all these like sort of like, you know, Democratic Party, like for better, for lack of a better term, establishment sort Mm -hmm. of like types constantly keep saying that like this is the most dangerous administration in the history of this country they're so dangerous they're targeting people of color they're targeting immigrants they're doing all this stuff whatever like you know they're they're you know like necessarily like dastardly and yet at the same time like and this has happened once before and i covered this in the article that i wrote which is that in 2017 in the very early days of the trump administration um Congress passed a reauthorization of a different um, surveillance authority, um, which is Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act, which provides foreign targeting capabilities, but which we learned, you know, through Edward Snowden revelations actually does allow for a a decent amount, like a pretty decent amount of, you know, domestic communications to be swept up because the way that the Internet is structured is it's not just like, you know, there you're you're even if you're sending some like an email to someone who's in the US and you're in the US there's a good chance that it takes a route which is more efficient that goes outside the US and then back in mm-hmm. and so there's no way you know there's no way effectively to like guarantee that like all these communications that are quote unquote foreign are actually not coming from within inside within the country and are domestic so um they passed the congress passed a reauthorization of 702 right as Trump was, you know, rising to power in the very early, early parts of 2017. Mm-hmm. And this was the same. So now it's the same criticism as it was back then, which is that, you know, Democrats keep saying like Nancy Pelosi literally impeached Trump. Um, and then and gave him like, these, you, these powers. <laughs> right. And then, and then yet at the same time, um, there's this, there's this, like, it's like this other dimension to it where, there's these kind of like law and order Democrats who are very like against Trump, like politically, you know, have positioned themselves. But at the same time, they just like cannot imagine lessening the state's power. And what's happening is that like these are the same sort of proponents of the surveillance proponents that have been, you know, reauthorizing and strengthening these these surveillance laws um, throughout the Obama administration as well. And that was the time when we all thought like, oh, well, Obama's a good guy. So, you know, and we, of course, we now know that like all kinds of horrible stuff was going on and that that further entrenched these powers because they were used, you know, under Obama, even though they were created under Bush, they were, they continued to be used, you know, um, and abused in many cases. But like that now is like, even now faced with like, someone that is ostensibly their political opponent who has, who who will and has in fact, you know, you know, provably used surveillance powers in the past to target immigrants, to target people of color, to target LGBTQ plus people. Like 
all of these things, like even with all that, they still cannot diminish the state's power because there's this, there's the intelligence community that kind of like exists apart from whatever administration is in power. And like, it's not even an option to some of these people to not have surveillance powers, to not have the Patriot Act, to not have, you know, basically like all of the like authoritarian powers that have been granted to the the U.S. government since 9-11, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. It's almost as if they're kind of liberals who kind of parade themselves as non-neocons, but they clearly are because some of these some of these provisions are are, are such are such overbearing, overreaching laws that inevitably empower someone that they've kind of made out to be a Russian Manchurian candidate. So it just sort of shows you that they're not whatever they're willing to do. It's not to to disempower the intelligence community that they so dearly keep satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically it. It's just like it's like a it's an ideology of its own. It's like the the belief that the state needs these powers and that like the fact of whoever is in power and whoever will, you know, be in power after how, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause they're 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 looking at this like I, I mean I can't, you know, obviously I can't um profess to know like what they're thinking, but it's almost as if they're thinking about like, well, eventually we, the Democrats, will be back in power and mm-hmm. we are the good, the good, the good people. And so we need these powers for when we come back into power. But honestly, I don't like I don't think, you know, with everything going on right now, I don't even know if there's going to be an election. Yeah. <laughs> in I, I mean, I agree. I so, agree. Like, Who knows? You know, they're just they're just presuming like that eventually they'll get back in power and that they'll be able to use these powers, quote unquote, for good. But, you know, I think that's that's kind of, you know, a non-issue at this point, considering that we know that even under the Obama administration, these these powers were used the way that they were. Yes. Well, we will definitely have you on the show to see what happens next in the future, because this is something to keep an eye on. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Jason, how's your apartment? How's Mango? Ben, oh yeah, this uh, we're recording this after a 20-minute fight with my dog. <laughs> Just as I was set to record, he wanted to join the podcast. I'm sorry, sorry you can't be here. <laughs> I got to say there was a very regal photo of you two that uh, uh, surfaced on Instagram that I thought was, I think it's like a, it's like a, a son and his father. 
It's a great photo. Yeah, I don't look that great in it, but I think he looks so good that I had to post. <laughs> he does look very dignified. He looks very dignified. I, I need to get a dog or something because I'm uh, going crazy in my apartment. Oh, yeah. I forget about you sometimes. <laughs> How I'm alone? I'm alone. How you're alone, <laughs> sad, no one to talk to. I haven't had human me. contact. My video off. Yeah, yeah your video off, exactly. <laughs> in two months. Me. Two months. You know how much talking to myself I do now? Yeah. No, how much? A lot. I, I've Dude, can, can I talk? This is this is a little off script, but speaking of people who talk to themselves, I mean, I'd love to hear about you talking to yourself, but I just watched this show on Netflix called Win the Wilderness, and it's about this uh, guy who walked to Alaska and claimed uh, the wilderness, like claimed a plot there. And it's this very bizarre BBC reality show in which he and his wife is giving away this land in Alaska. What? Because they're getting too old to live there. Yeah, and they're, it's an American couple giving away this land to a British couple because the BBC was the only like uh, network that wanted to make the show, I guess. So that's very, that's very odd. Anyways, this guy has an eye patch. Um, which he got because his ex-wife shot him in the face, which is not uh, <laughs> is is not covered in this like quite wholesome uh, documentary or re reality show. Right? Oh, I like that. And that's then, a great that's yeah. a great detail. Imagine saying that and at so, a bar. <laughs> yeah, and so this whole thing is like pretty wholesome. He does talk to himself and befriend bears because he lived in Alaska for nine years by himself while he was building this house. Um, it's like a hundred miles from the nearest person and he just walked there, which is just nuts. Huh. So there's like video of him from like the <laughs> early nineties where he's just like talking to himself, uh, because he hasn't seen any people for years and years. Um, so anyways, he ends up giving away the house, like at the end of this thing. So then I Googled to, to figure out like what this, like, what's the deal with this guy. And I learned that he, while there to make money, he wrote books and one of his books was, about how he got abducted by aliens. And it oh, wow. Like, okay. It's just like the most bizarre thing. Blog of incoming. All time. Blog and, incoming. Yeah, the most bizarre thing of all time. And it wasn't even mentioned in the goddamn show. <laughs> I thought also, they were going to say something weird. Cause like there's, there's like a, there's a Canadian classic called bear. It's a, it's a classic oh. Canadian novel. I don't know if you've heard of it, but essentially in it, uh, someone does actually have sex with a bear. Yeah, uh, I mean, he befriended the bears. There's no suggestion that he did anything untoward with the bears. Hmm. Um, he did get his wife through, quote, the mail order bride program, uh, according to his book. That's so, that's uh, that's his flex. That's a way to do things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, yeah, so... Um, what I'm saying is you're like that guy because you talk to yourself. <laughs> Great. I can't. I hope he, he should link me that uh, wherever he, he he met his lovely wife. Uh, okay. So let's talk about some surveillance stuff. What do you think? Yeah. Sounds good. So uh, California police needing the most sophisticated tools to go after grad students. UC Santa this Cruz. Is really, this is a really funny one, actually. It's a really important story, <laughs> yeah. I think. And we ended up we ended up publishing it Friday at 3.30 p.m. And also, we very unfortunately had layoffs last Friday, which sucked. Yep. 
Um, but it, it was basically like we kind of almost like lost this news a little bit. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Um, earlier this year, uh, grad students, like teacher grad students at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and a couple other campuses went on a, what's known as a wild uh, wildcat strike. So it's basically like an unauthorized strike in which, uh, you know, they're not like, they're not striking according to the terms of any collective bargaining agreement. They're just going on strike because things are so bad and they're like unable to uh, come to any agreement. And they say that their working conditions are so bad. And in this case, uh, they were making such little money in like a very high cost of living uh, area that they decided to go on strike to ask for, I believe it was like a $1,000 increase to their stipend. Yeah. $1,400 increase to their cost of living stipend that they get for teaching classes. And so they went on strike and they went on strike for like a couple weeks, like a, a long time. Um, or at least, you know, it was like a pretty organized strike is what I would say. And we wrote about it at the time and uh, someone, you know, a, a labor organization filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the state of California and got all these documents, which were given to Lauren Gurley, who's, you know, we've mentioned her work a lot. She's a great labor reporter on our team, um, showing that, you know, obviously there was like a cop, a, a police uh, response to this. And not only was there like a police response just to like keep the peace or whatever, but they were actually surveilling the... Uh, the students who were on strike and they were surveilling the students using, uh, the leap, which is a federal surveillance portal operated by the FBI. Um, it stands for law enforcement enterprise portal and it, it runs through a fusion center, which is like basically a federal, um, data center where, information is aggregated between local state and, and federal, federal and police. there's a huge, yeah. I mean, it's a huge, there's been discussions on whether or not CIA has access to some of this information or NSA. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's not a good place. Those fusion centers. Yeah. The fusion centers are like highly controversial in civil liberties mm -hmm. world. ACLU like, is all over them. They probably shouldn't exist. Yeah. And then, but then also the California national guard, which is a military force provided uh, something called a friendly force tracker which is military surveillance tech that was designed for use in the battlefield. Um, and basically, I mean, I haven't used one. I, I don't know what they look like, but I liken it to like the radar on Call of Duty or something where like you can see all of the people on your team and where they're at. So um, there's no indication that this like military tech was used specifically to surveil the students, although there's a lot of evidence of surveillance uh, using this fusion center and using social media surveillance and a couple other things. But, you know, this is technology that was designed for battle and it was given from a military force to a civilian law enforcement group, a, a university law enforcement group at that, uh, to surveil peaceful protesters who were grad students asking for a cost of living increase and like the state of California spent hundreds of thousands of dollars policing this protest yeah but, but it's also did just not give them the raise that they asked for yeah it's also just like the funniest thing ever because I, I mean I I've been to grad school before and you see these sorts of protests percolate constantly and like they're they're totally they're totally uh, you know worth it but what isn't worth it is is using like very sophisticated like hacking technology on these on these types of 
individuals in these protests. It just, to me, it's just sort of, it's almost it's a laughable point in which we are in, in 2020 or 2019, wherein sophisticated hacking technology is used against like a grad strike. Like what is, that's when you know this stuff has just gone way too far. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in the end, all of these students got fired. Like, like it, what it, it the doesn't fuck? have a happy ending. They just no. fired them. So next one, we got a we got a, a, a JoJo, a JoJo banger. Another one on the NSO group, the group company mercenary cyber force that just refuses to not be on our show. Yeah, I mean, more drip drip from from NSO. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joseph was given an IP address from a former employee that uh, was used to deliver Pegasus malware, so NSO Group's malware that they used to surveil activists, journalists, etc., um, all around the world. And what he learned, like he ran basically a, a you know domain tools uh, search and and checked the DNS records of this server or of this IP address and found that the domains registered to it were ones that uh, impersonated both Facebook and FedEx. So essentially the way that this malware works is like it's one click malware, meaning you get a link in WhatsApp or text message or whatever. And if you click it, that is what uh, hacks your phone. Like the malware is delivered once you click it from an infected domain. And so what uh, NSO Group was doing was using a URL that looked like it was Facebook. Um, we can't say what the, the domain specifically was, but it, it was something like facebooksecurity.net or something. I mean, I, I don't remember specifically what it was, but it was something to that effect. Um, and then you click it and then you get hacked essentially. And this is... Notable because, first of all, it's like, you know, a hacking company is impersonating an American company. Like, that's not a good thing. But another thing is Facebook is currently suing NSO Group. So this is particularly explosive, I would say. Very explosive. And those that uh, that litigation is ongoing. Right. Yeah. And so and that that uh, litigation alleges that. Uh, NSO group used like a flaw in WhatsApp to uh, deliver its malware. And they were basically saying like, you know, you use our infrastructure to assist authoritarian regimes. So we're seeing you. But like now there's evidence that they also impersonated the company also. So that's which is a which is a wild one. It's a wild one. It's, It's also an interesting situation where my sympathies lie with Facebook. This is something that doesn't often happen. Yeah, I mean, on this, it's like time and time again, like Facebook is kind of like Facebook is decent on security, I would say. And so, I mean, they've had their missteps, but it's like they're a serious security enterprise, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't get hacked all the time. Like they they have privacy problems and they have had security issues, but it's like they have a very serious security team with very sophisticated uh, actors who work for them. So I think that that's like, that's notable here. Totally. Okay. So this final one, I will, uh, a hundred percent, admit I did not read it because you simply said to me, we're talking about Sudoku. And then I, I realized it was likely this article. So I'm going at this completely cold. I know the headline is this Sudoku solved 
This Sudoku solve, sorry, I said solved, weird. This Sudoku solve made me cry, explain. Yeah, uh, I've been having a little bit of trouble sleeping lately and uh, when I wake up like in the middle of the night, like sometimes I will just scroll YouTube and try to find something like relaxing to put on and then just like put my headphones on and fall back asleep, like ASMR videos or someone explaining something. Um, so I was scrolling and I came across this video which has gone viral in the last week or so. And it's this guy solving a Sudoku puzzle, uh, which doesn't sound like it'd be very riveting. Uh, it's a 25 minute video and it's like this British guy speaking in a very, you know, British puzzle solver voice. So I was like, oh, this could be like an interesting thing to fall asleep. And like, I shit you not, at like 4 a.m. this morning, I just watched 25 minutes straight without falling asleep and was just like completely riveted by it. Um, I'm not a Sudoku person. Like, I don't really know much about Sudoku other than it's the game with the one through nine in a bunch of different boxes and there's various rules. Like, I've done a couple of them, so I know how it works. Um, but this one is basically like, it's called the Miracle Sudoku. Um, and it's a puzzle that was designed by a guy named Mitchell Lee. And have, have you ever seen a Sudoku puzzle? Like, do you know what it is? I know what it is. Um, I hate them. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not into them either. Like I like crossword puzzles, but I haven't, I never got into Sudoku, but normally you have like, you know, various numbers in various boxes and then you try to solve it. And usually when you look at it, there's like, you know, 20, 30 numbers that are already filled out and then you have to fill out the rest. And it's like the heart, generally like the, the fewer numbers there are, the harder it is to solve because you don't have as many clues as to what you're doing. But in this one, there are only two digits in the entire box, like in the entire puzzle. It's just a one and a two. And like when this is revealed, I asked Kato, who also has watched this, to uh, pull some audio. But basically, like when this is revealed, the guy is just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And he's like, there's no way I can solve this. He's got to be joking. There is no way that this... Well, it might have a unique solution, but it's not going to be findable by a human being. Um, I suspect this is going to be a short video because he is trolling me. Uh, and he's like, this is a joke, like a cruel joke, like I'm not going to do this. And then like over the course of 25 minutes, he realizes that uh, the way that this Sudoku puzzle was put together was that there were additional rules put in by the solver about where the digits can go. And because of those constraints, it meant that there was only one possible solution and that it was possible to be figured out by a human. And like the guy is just riveting because he's like obviously a master level solver and he's never seen anything like this puzzle before. And he's like, I didn't even know that something this complex and, and crazy and like elegant could could occur in this uh, in this like world. Right. So the the sort of the theory is that apparently we can resolve this pattern into threes that are solvable no way we're going to get another three and another th and another th i don't believe this the threes are placeable from that absolute gibberish we had in the grid and so so this made you cry well, it's been a very tough couple of weeks. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, let's just back this up for one second. 
you compared me to the fucking what's this like Timothy Treadwell, like I'm some sort of grizzly man sitting in my apartment uh-huh. going insane. And you're crying yeah. about Sudoku puzzle video solves. <laughs> Dude, you're going to cry too. Uh, all I think right. You watch it. No. So it, it's funny I'll because watch like, it. Th- the thing I was crying about is like, it's a very bleak time right now. And this was just like sheer perseverance of the human uh, spirit, <laughs> in my opinion, as well as like, this dude just like slowly realizing the magnificence of this puzzle. I have to say this, this is something extremely special and the eights, eights and nines are just going to resolve. All we've got to find is a seven that's orthogonally connected to something uh, or where there's a gap next to a seven, this seven. Look, this square here now cannot be the eight. So that's going to completely trip the whole puzzle, isn't it? We are watching something extremely special here this mitchell lee has come up with a work of sublime genius like he was just like oh my god like the quote that he used is just like bananas uh like halfway through when he realizes it's gonna work he said quote this is like the universe singing to us here and it's just like that's just very funny. <laughs> Anyways, um, all right, no, it's a good, it's a good video. You should watch, I'll watch it. it. You should definitely I'll watch, watch it. You should start it, and you'll be like, "I'm not fucking watching this." And then, like, 25 minutes will have gone by, and you will have watched the entire thing and just be in complete tears. Maybe I don't know. Let me know. Do I cry? I don't know. Hard to say. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'll I'll catch you next week. Same bat time, same bat hour in our fucking apartments. Thank you, sir. Farewell. <laughs>